I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hasman. And this is the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording today's episode on December 10th, 2017. Thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episode. Uh, today we're going to talk about the state of discourse in the legislature and in Alberta politics. We're going to talk a, a bit about the Calgary Lougheed by-election, which is coming up on December 14th. We're going to talk about the legislative session, which is almost done, but going into overtime next week. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the mailbag and answer some of the questions that uh, that you guys asked us on Twitter, on Facebook, through email. But first... We're going to uh, talk a little, uh, share a little political gossip. That uh, some of the stuff we've been hearing around uh, around the legislature, around uh, around Alberta politics over the over the past week. Yeah, that's right. I think we uh, we're happy to be your source for uh, rumors and unsubstantiated accusations. So, anyone out there who wants to send us any good juice, we're always open. Do you have something to start with, Dave? Or well, well, you, you, Ryan, you were talking. You, you were sharing some uh, some pretty juicy political gossip before <laughs> we turned on the uh, turned on the recording button. So, well, one of the things that um, political parties and activists always focus on, and it's always about, is nominations, especially in a place like Alberta, um, where I guess before 2015 these conservative nominations were pretty close to being the harder part universally. And we're talking federally, right? Or provincially? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say both, but particularly federal, where we still do hold most of the seats. Um, what I have found out is that something that a lot of people didn't know, I don't even know if you knew, Dave, the incumbent nominations for the Conservative Party of Canada are actually underway right now, and they're underway nationwide. So every incumbent... Uh, the nomination process was opened up on November the 1st or October 31st. I'm not totally sure. The board of directors I sit on is a non-held board, uh, Edmonton Strathcona, so we didn't receive this memo. But from what I understand, the process went like this. Every single member in good standing of the party received a memo from the central office saying, as of this date, incumbent nominations are now open. The process to challenge an incumbent is that by December the 15th, you need to gather 50 signatures of current members in good standing. Uh, and you have until December the 15th to submit that. And then it triggers a nomination process. So the interesting thing about this, of course, is it really wasn't widely published. The other thing is, procedurally, it's quite difficult. Um, no membership list was submitted with this memo, of course, because that is quite protected and there's freedom of information and privacy elements to it. So... If you're looking at challenging an incumbent, you have to come up with 50 members of the current membership list without having the membership list. The list was also frozen once that memo came out. So my understanding is that as soon as this memo came out, new membership sales would not be eligible to participate in the process. So you had to know this was happening. You had to have a list ready to go. Um, and it's very difficult. You know, and I, it's funny because I actually would probably protect most incumbents most of the time. But... There is a huge populist tradition in this party, the Federal Conservative Party, particularly on the reform side, where many people took it pretty um, seriously that incumbents should be challenged. So this is interesting. This is really sort of opening it up, but not, not really. Without the list, the only way that you'd be able to do this properly is if you were very well connected to the riding and you just happen to know 50 members because you're not allowed to use, if you have legitimate access to the list, if you're the president, the treasurer, or the secretary, you're not able to use the list for this kind of thing. So there really isn't a legitimate path to this. Now in the real world, 
a lot of lists are out there. There's all the former membership lists. There's provincial lists, all sorts of stuff. But, you know, by the actual rules, this is very difficult. I'm only aware, sorry, quickly, of two Alberta incumbents who are being challenged. And no one really knows this for sure until the 15th. But what I'm hearing is Jim Eglinski in Yellowhead, he was the one nominated, or sorry, elected in 2014, is facing potentially two challengers. One is a school principal from the riding. Um, the other one, and again, I don't have the name. This is just my source told me, is actually an Ottawa staffer, uh, the staffer of a different MP from the caucus. So that sounds a little uh, awkward to me. Controversial, perhaps. Well, I can't imagine how caucus relations would go if he loses his ch- his nomination to a colleague's staffer. The other one is Mike Lake. Uh, I went and I found the person's name. It is Gordon Francis. He's got an active Facebook page. I don't think you've listed anything on your website, Dave. Have uh, you? Yeah, I haven't been tracking federal candidates yet. I've been tra- tracking uh, provincial party nominations, but I guess I better start the federal list now. There you go. I'm, I'm adding to your list. Okay. So usually the first step is to let you know. So very interesting to me, but we really won't know until December the 15th uh, nationwide which incumbents are being challenged. How about you, Dave? What have you been hearing? Well, I think one of the interesting things is that, that as we approach the next provincial election, uh, and I've been starting to, as I, as I just mentioned, I've been starting to keep tr- starting a list. I have a list on my blog um, where I'm keeping track of candidates who are running for party nominations. I think uh, one one of the interesting implications of of well, being coming, you know, getting closer to the next provincial election is you're going to see candidates start stepping up for nominations for all parties, uh, and you're going to see. MLAs have to make decisions about whether they're going to run again or step down or basically not just decide not to run again in the next election. Um, so I think that will be really interesting because I think, so, you know, there are going to be some some MLAs uh, who are going to have to make some hard decisions uh, about their political careers, whether that's just whether they, they don't want to run again or whether, as, as we, we know, there's a new electoral map coming up for 2019. In some cases, uh, MLAs are just going to lose their ridings. They're, they're just, the yeah. districts are just going to disappear. Well, here, I hadn't thought of this, but in St. Albert, um, yeah. Trevor Horn and Marie Renaud have a real problem because Trevor's probably not going to go run in the Spruce Grove Stony Plain riding. Uh, Trevor, Horn's, Trevor Horn's riding just completely disappears. I think right now it's called Spruce Grove St. Albert. And uh, or currently, currently it's yeah. called, and and it's going to be Spruce Grove Stony, Spruce Grove Stony, and then it's going to be Lac Saint Dan Parkland, and, and then it's going Saint to be Saint Albert. Saint Albert. So, yeah. so his riding essentially is split between yeah. other ridings where there are other New Democrat MLAs already as incumbents. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think I know. I've been hearing I've been hearing some rumors that he might look at a uh, at a seat in Edmonton if there's an open seat somewhere in Edmonton to run again. I mean, he is a young guy. This is his first term. And I think that's important to recognize that almost all of the MLAs, I think something like 76 out of the uh, 87 MLAs, they're serving their first term because there was such a huge wave. Uh, yeah. And that's both within the, the NDP and the and the United Conservative Party caucus. They're just, there's such a, there was such a huge wave in the yeah. last election that most of them are first termers. Well, 100% of the floor crossers did not survive to the next swearing in yeah so for different they fell in different ways but 100 percent of them fell yeah yeah so i think we'll see we'll see in in the, in the next coming months and in, in the upcoming months mlas will have to start making their decisions because the parties are also going to want to recruit candidates and this also has implications for the provincial cabinet as well yeah. uh if there are cabinet ministers who are not running in in the next election um rachel notley might might have to take a you know take a look at her at her cabinet and decide you know if you're not running again maybe it's time to bring someone new into cabinet and we see this happen with with uh 
with frequently with with governments that, yeah. uh, that they'll, they'll shuffle the cabinet in a year or so ahead of the next election uh, in order to bring some fresh faces in and, and shuffle out those who might not be running again. Well, and this is one of the points I wanted to make actually on the government staff side. Uh, my understanding is that about a year ago, they had that either stay or go, but whatever you're going to do, decide now because she wanted to build her campaign team for next year. So I mean, don't go work in British Columbia. Yeah. I mean, a lot like our party. Um, certain activists travel around to wherever the sort of the greatest need is. And so I think the NDP national movement has a vested interest in proving that this wasn't a fluke, that they want to make sure this wasn't an accidental government, that they get reelected. So, um, you know, I think that was part of why Nathan Rotman came or came in. I found an article from 2014 where he left the federal party to go work for Olivia Chow's mayoral campaign. So these guys travel around. Yeah, we should say Nathan Rotman is now chief of staff in Rachel Notley's in the office of the premier. And That's he right. was, um, he's was, was, I think he was, a, was he national director of the federal NDP or he, he was high up, he was high, high up, up in the, in the federal NDP. And then he went to work at on, uh, Olivia Chow's yeah. uh, mayoral campaign in Toronto. So and he is, he is a campaigner. Those, you know, that's yeah. when, when they did bring him in as, as chief of staff, it's pre, it's pretty no. clear that this is a pre-election, yeah. pre-election move. They're getting ready for, yeah. uh, for 2019. Presumably he's the campaign chair as well. I, I'm not suggesting he isn't serving his public sector job at the moment, but she wants to put her team in place and the, caucus and candidates is a big part of it but so is the staff so yeah it is interesting though because now they have if you're an ndp you have options to go home to bc um there's other places where you might want to be drawn maybe in saskatchewan they'll be doing well so yeah just something to keep your eye on so one of the topics we wanted to get to was the legislative session and i'm glad that i shared this microphone with dave cornery because i don't really understand what the government's doing on bill 32 the chief electoral officer has tabled a letter indicating he has some concerns and he didn't have a chance to review the legislation. We're talking about taking the residency requirement from six months to zero. We're also talking about something that had, I think, four days of debate with no committee review, no experts speaking to it, or even consultation with the chief electoral officer. So it smells pretty fishy to me, Dave. What's going on here? Well, Act, or pardon me, Bill, uh, Bill 32, an act to strengthen and protect democracy in Alberta. How could that be that? That sounds like a pretty, pretty good thing to me. Who could oppose that? So I guess uh, uh, first uh, touching on the residency issue because that's that's been a big one that I've I've seen uh, Jason Kenny tweet about on his uh, and and the Unite Alberta Twitter handle uh, tweet about whoever they may be uh, anonymously tweet about uh, I mean who would have thought a a, a, a a you know an, an anonymous Twitter handle representing a political action committee would have an issue with a bill that deals with political action committees right because that's the other half of the bill that, that's the other half of the bill but first to talk about the the residency requirement um, so what what bill 32 proposes is to remove the current six-month residency requirement in order to vote in a provincial election in Alberta. Um, this is something that the chief electoral officer, Glenn Ressler, has been asking for since about 2014. He first brought it up at, uh, I think, the the Standing Committee for Legislative Offices. And Down to zero or to something like 30 days or 60 well, days? Well, no, that, that, that there'd be no time, no, no actual time that you had to spend, but but you ha- still have to be an ordinary resident of Alberta. You still have to provide a valid Alberta ID or proof of residency, just like you would currently. So you have to provide a bill or a, a photo ID that has an Alberta, you know, Alberta 
government a government issued ID uh, in order to prove that you're a resident of Alberta. This this already exists in the same rule already exists in Ontario. It exists in Newfoundland, and as we know, it already it also exists federally. You can move anywhere in the anywhere in the country, and as long as you're you end you can prove you're an ordinary resident, you can vote in that in what that whatever whatever that writing is. Uh, in a federal election. So his concerns were not about the residency. They were about a couple other things. Yeah, he didn't, he, he, when he was talking to the committee, he again talked to the, the standing committee on ethics and accountability in 2015. And he um, was, I was reading the, tra- the transcript and at, at both in 2014 and in 2015, he seemed confident. He was confident he could maintain the integrity of the voters list. Um, I don't think it's as big an big an issue as the opposition is making it, uh, because I, I it's not but it isn't saying that someone can just drive across the border and vote the next day. You still have to prove you live in Alberta. I mean, it's basically similar to what happens in municipal elections. I mean, we don't really see there's a big issue of like if if you if you vote in St. Albert or you vote in Edmonton, you don't have to prove that you've lived in St. Albert or Edmonton for six months before you vote in those municipal elections. So I don't really think it's a huge it's a huge issue. There's still going to be uh, there's still going to be safeguards, and it's still a crime. I mean, voter fraud is still a crime. So I don't think we're going to see a, a, you know, a huge wave of, of, uh, of people from outside the province coming and voting in a, in in Alberta in the next provincial election. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, so I don't think it's it's as huge an issue. Uh, you know, at the time, the chief electoral officer said that's what he wanted. Um, I, th- I think it's a little overblown. Uh, You're calling it fake news. Well, I mean, saying that or, that any, anybody can just show up and vote is is like totally skewing and torquing the issue. I think that it, you know you still have to prove you're a resident of Alberta. I mean, it's still in the act in the law. Do you, um, do you know, in two thousand and eight, I voted in Nunavut, but it was a remote or a proxy ballot, so it was in my home riding. But physically went to a ballot box in Nunavut. That's cool, and I think that's that's another uh, another thing that's going to be included in this bill is uh, more access to like remote voting like if you're a if you're a university student you can vote at the university but it'll but it'll be a ballot for your riding in St. Paul or you vote for your riding in Jasper for Yeah. Example. So um there's nothing fishy about bill 32. I I don't really think so. I think that uh pack. we should talk about the pack. Sure. I mean just to touch on the timing. I think you know, I think there's some legitimate uh legitimate questions about it being introduced in the last week or now the last two weeks of legislative session. I think I think something this probably could deserve a little more debate and maybe a little more work on committee. But overall, I don't really see this as being a, I mean, did, this isn't going to destroy democracy in Alberta. Did your mom or dad ever tell you that nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. or something like that? No. It's kind of like a common, you know, after a certain point of time, you should just go home because nothing good happens. This is how I feel about December and the ledge every year. It gets to the silly season time where everyone's a little bit punch drunk. The MLAs have been up all night. The staff, I mean, no one thinks about the staff, but I know of a speechwriter who wrote speeches all day last Sunday, um, a member's assistant, and they have to pump the stuff out so that the MLAs can get in the house. I think silly season always comes and everyone goes a little crazy and you see all these outbursts. You start talking about people eating pets in communist countries or, and just, or ma- marijuana triggering <laughs> communist revolutions Thank i don't you for know that one ron or i'm not sure that was because of silly season but I, your point is true and i just think um of course i have a vested interest in this so my wife could actually come home at dinner time but i think that the sooner this session ends the better although it's the opposition dragging it out i realize and then bill 33 
I understand it's a confirmation of the electoral divisions, the new maps. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, they're the final report of the uh, Electoral Boundaries Commission was tabled in the legislature. It was passed uh, or was adopted by the legislature and it was reintroduced as a bill, which is just this is just the process of it has to, that it has to go through. Um, I expect this will be this will be passed um, fairly quickly this week, though there are there were concerns from. The mostly rural, wild, um, not Wild Rose, used to be Wild <laughs> They were elected as well. They would have been elected as Wild Rose MLAs. But the uh, the United Conservative uh, caucus about uh, the removal of, of rural seats um, in order to uh, to reflect the population growth that we've seen in urban areas, Calgary, Edmonton, Airdrie, Cochrane, Spruce Grove. Um, though I do think it's really interesting, and, and no one has really talked about this, and I don't even think they've gotten up, they've stood up to debate it. But when the report was... Uh, when the MLAs voted to adopt the report before they put turned it into a bill, there were two new Democrat MLAs who voted against it. I was going to say, did they yeah. all vote? So who were the There two? was uh, Colin Paquette, who is the MLA for Athabasca, Sturgeon, Redwater, and um, Eric Rosendahl, who's the MLA for West Yellowhead. And so both of their writings are going to be drastic, dramatically affected by the, redist- by the redraw of the map. Yeah, These are rural, the, rural writings. Yeah. That Athabasca-Redwater seat is really getting ripped apart into... Oh, yeah. And it's... it's uh, I mean, I think it's it's very likely that uh, that Ath- the new Athabasca-Redwater seat, which I think is going to... Or the Ath- it's called like Barhead... Barhead Westlock Athabasca, I think, yeah. is the new name, uh, which will, I mean, if both MLAs decide to run for re-election, it could pit two incumbent MLAs against each other. So we might, yeah. you know, a new Democrat and and, uh, and a UCP MLA. So we could see some of that going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be exciting. That would be very exciting. Actually, the last time the last time that, that I could find, the last time that, uh, that two incumbent MLAs ran against each other, uh, and I'm going to be totally embarrassed if I'm wrong about this, but it actually happened in the Redwater seat. Really? Yeah, in 1993, uh, after the redistribution. So, so Nick the Taylor. Decor Klein. Yeah, Decor Klein. So Nick Taylor, who was the liberal MLA for Westlock Sturgeon. They had a and, liberal MLA in Westlock Sturgeon? Oh, yeah, for many years. That's where I grew up. Oh, Morinville. Yeah, it was yeah, Morinville. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, so he was running against Steve Zarewski, who had represented Redwater Andrew. And they merged. They merged the two ridings, and they had two incumbents, two incumbents running against each other. And Nick Taylor uh, beat uh, Zaruski by about fifteen hundred votes or sixteen hundred votes. Dave, I'm awarding you a nerd star of the day again. I, I will uh, wear it with pride. Instead of a gold star, it's a nerd star. That's that's good information. I'm going to sound cocky when I say this, but I think I'm quite comfortable predicting that the UCP member would win that showdown against the new Democrat member this time. But you know, it is two years away, so. Well, it's, it's, it's not even two years away. I think it's about like a, just over a year and a half away now. Don't say that. 2019. Spring 2019. May 2019. May 2019. Oh, yeah. We're about to be spring 2018. Yeah. So just we better get on year. it. So, you know, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be uh, recording election, uh, pre-election issues, er, editions of this, uh, this podcast pretty soon. So funny you should mention that, Dave, because one of the things I wanted to talk about today is just the general tone um, of politics at AB Ledge. And I don't just mean on Twitter. So ever since we've made the observation before, but ever since Jason Kenney was elected leader, uh, I've really noticed on all sides a real heightened combativeness in certainly on social media. And I I think you could say in the House, too, although there's this idea that the House used to be some genteel place has never been true. Um, I want to pick on one particular thing that happened this week, and it was a late night tweet storm. Um, by CBC journalist Michelle Bell Fontaine at uh, Jason Kenney's communications, 
I don't even know his job title. I think he's like the manager of the Southern Alberta office now. or something. Yeah, now, yeah. yeah. Blaze. Now, let me just say a couple things. First of all, Blaze is a big boy and a grown-up, and he can certainly defend himself. And he... This is Blaze Bomer? Yes. Okay. And he also is not everybody's cup of tea. I think he would be happy to agree to that. I understand that some people don't like his approach. He's partisan. He throws elbows. He throws heat. Um, I, though, have an issue with Michelle's tweet storm. I'm going to acknowledge a bias that I have up first, which is that this has probably happened many times before. I'm not going to name names, but certain columnists at The Sun have probably done this exact thing. And my progressive friends would say, oh, I'm glad you've noticed. And it's true. I mean, I don't, we don't get upset about things that, that don't resonate with us because we're all human. But so she, she made an observation. He, he put out some study and he said that um, young people in America are, I forget exactly, but not aware of how damaging, you y- know. Y- young people are communists, I think it was what, yeah, the, what the general of, tone of, of, of what it was. Basically. And he said he did not tag A.B. Ledge. He specifically said America. You could make the argument that, of course, everything he talks about is A.B. Ledge. Like, I'm not naive. But she went on, honestly, like a 10-part tweet storm rant. And I made the observation to her that, first of all, Blaze wasn't talking about the ledge. He specifically said Americans. But more important than that, if you kind of step back, she, it really felt like she was coming close to punching him back on a partisan basis. She wasn't correcting this, this, the facts. So as a journalist, you can, you can be an editorialist for sure. But as a journalist, you correct the facts or you just report what the actors are saying. But when you become a combatant, when you get into Theodore Roosevelt's ring and start punching, it's an uneven fight because Blaze is a paid partisan staffer and she's not. The, the reason why this, there's two things about this that bother me. One, um, the NDP dog whistles as much as anybody else. So one of the things that they kept saying in the GSA debate is that Jason Kenney wants to out gay kids. And that is horrible. That sounds terrible. We know that um, gay kids have committed suicide. It's a very harsh thing to say. When, you know, I would say that's a dog whistle because until the day they table that legislation, what Jason Kenney's position and the UCP position is today was what the NDP's position was. So would they say that a week before they tabled that legislation, they are in favor of outing gay kids? Of course not. But they're using that term as a political stick to bat their opponents with. And to some degree, within the constraints of truth and slander and house procedure, I think that that's all fair. They're partisan actors. They're combatants in the ring. The problem is, though, with the media is that credibility requires a lack of partisan passion. Like you, I understand that there's editorialists who have different positions. Of course they are. But how would you now take her reporting of the UCP as anything but biased? And in this, in this era where we're seeing fake news and we're seeing the rise of Donald Trump, I'm very aware that we need a professional media. Like the, the journalists, journalism is crumbling. It's on the ropes. And this doesn't help. Look at the CNN debate this week with Donald Trump. So they've reported, let's say, 10 things about him in the Russia probe. One or two of them were wrong. But now Trump can say it's all fake news. It's all a bunch of, of nonsense. And so the, there is a higher standard for reporters that if they're going to be editorialists, they should say, first of all, they should be in an editorial or a, or a comment piece. And what she did was a late night, nothing good happens on social media late at night. It was a late night, really quite emotional attack on Blaze 
and I just think it it probably hurt everybody. I generally think people should probably spend less time on Twitter, um, and you know, not engage in Twitter debates after a certain time of a uh, certain time of the night. I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we kind of all are, uh, even though I try to avoid it as much as I can. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really. I, I mean, the debate, the the level of discourse in Alberta politics and in the legislature. I mean, it's not great. It's it's very partisan. It's very rigid. I think, and I don't think this is really something new. I think, uh, I think since Jason Kenney became UCP leader, uh, I think that he knows how to inflame the other side, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that they inten- they intentionally, true. you know, the UCP under Jason Kenney intentionally tries to inflame and create oh yeah bad discourse. And this is what Blaze. But- but it does. Yeah, that. totally. I mean, they're 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 paid political trolls, really. And but I don't think this is really anything new. I mean, go back a year ago or two years ago, and I mean, you weren't seeing very good discourse on on social media and online uh, right after the NDP formed government. I mean, no, you know, it's it. We we it's, like it's, the leaders once they're gone. So they look back now at Brian Jean and they say, "Oh, what a gentleman he was." But while he was there, they didn't say that yeah and i mean it may i may not have been brian gene himself because i think he actually was carried himself with with more uh it was more distinguished and carried himself uh i'd say classier than jason kenny does on 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 these types these types of of issues but uh but i mean the, the ucp caucus is acting just as crazy as they were when there was the wild rose caucus <laughs> I, was, I was gonna talk about this this is one of the things that i think is the real test if you look at what probably kept Daniel Smith out of the premier's office. There's a lot of factors, but one of them was certainly how do you find the balance between a professional political organization and a rural populist movement? And, you know, members are entitled, elected members of the assembly are entitled to speak with privilege and they can say what they think. And it's a very sacred thing. And just like theoretically, they're not going to listen to some staffer tell them you can't say this and you can't say that. But there's a balance point because these bozo eruptions and these just crazy things that you might say in the heat of a moment or in a late night, long hours and hours debate, they just kill everybody. So when you're talking about marijuana turning into an opioid communist revolution, that might not matter down in rural south central Alberta. But boy, that doesn't really fly here in the city or anything else. And so one of the challenges Jason's going to have is how do you keep that balance? How do you find a way to keep your caucus professional without truly just locking them down? Because it's funny. He gets criticized either way. You actually made a comment, Dave, on, I think it was on Facebook or Twitter, saying I thought maybe Jason would be a little bit more professional when some of the, with his caucus management, when some of the stuff is being said. So... They're criticized either way. Either you lock it down, you get called Harper-style dictator, or you just open it up and it's all bozos and lake of fire. So I don't know what the balance is, but I don't think that's ever going to go away. As long as there's a populist... Maybe this sounds really arrogant of me to say, actually, but as long as there's a populist rural component to the party, it's not going to be in line with what those of us who live near Edmonton think. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see if this changes when Jason Kenney actually, you know, when he, if, if he wins the by-election on December 14th and, uh, and when he becomes an MLA and, in the, and sits in the next session, whether 
whether there'll actually be a little more discipline yeah. uh, in the UCP caucus. Because I think that's, in terms of it, just a contrast uh, with the UCP caucus to the NDP caucus, I think the NDP, I mean, they've had their share of, you know, little bozo eruptions over the past past uh, few years. But overall, the NDP caucus in Alberta is incredibly well-disciplined. You just I, I agree. You don't have those weekly kind of weird weirdo bozo eruptions at all. Like, but, they're, they're, they're quite tight on their messaging and they're quite tight in terms of of uh of uh of, well their mlas yeah i agree and i think the way they've done that is to totally lock it down when's the last time i'm sorry to pick on him again trevor horn said anything in the media when's the last time deborah driver said anything at all i mean i think there's 20 or 30 mlas who must not have permission to do media because they don't say anything so maybe maybe that would be a better idea than what some of the ucp guys are doing but it is remarkable how uh, a caucus full of the types of people who are willing to run for the NDP in Calgary and are now elected, how few of them have stepped in it. I think they do deserve some credit for that. But it's there's only two ways to do it. And the easiest way is to just basically take away all of their media privileges. The other one is for them to actually hold it together. So I don't know which it is. Well, th- th- this goes into the issue of... Um a lot of times I'll have people who ask me, well, how would you grade MLAs? How, you know, if you, you could give them a, a letter grade, how would you grade? And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging, um, as someone who watches, you know, watches provincial politics at the legislature and watches it on the provincial level. Uh, it's hard to grade MLAs because it's hard to get a good reading of how they're doing in their own constituencies. I mean, there might be, and we see, you know, we see this frequently over the years is there are MLAs who don't say a lot in the legislature. Um, but they do a ton of stuff in their writings and they're very popular in their, in their, in their home communities. But yeah. you wouldn't necessarily know that by right. reading the transcripts of Hansard or watching question period or, or even social, a lot of them or even are social, media. social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. Like, um, uh, uh, Marlon Schmidt, for example, uh, is not active at all on Twitter. Like he has a Twitter account that has, it says like, you know, thanks for visiting, but I'm not active on Twitter. Here's a link to my Facebook page. And he has a quite an active Facebook page. So, so it's, you know, sometimes you have to do a little digging and I mean, some MLAs just aren't really active on, on social media at all. So coming up this week, uh, December 14th, the Calgary Lougheed by-election. So one thing I noticed is yesterday, Jason Kenney's campaign tweeted out that they had 200 people door knocking on Saturday. I'd imagine on a beautiful Sunday like this, they probably have the same thing again. I don't think anyone seriously disputes the result here. What will be interesting to me is to see who finishes second. You have the Liberal Party leader. You have the New Democrat candidate whose name I still cannot pronounce. Dave, I understand you know how now. Philip Vander Merva. Vandermerva. Vandermerva. I think we got that incorrect in the last episode. So the battle for second place is kind of interesting, but I think you're talking about maybe 20% of the total vote going to the second place. I mean, maybe that's a bit much. Let's call it 25%. Yeah, I think, I mean, I could see, you know, Jason Kenney getting somewhere between probably 60 and 70%. This is a conservative riding. He is the conservative leader. The conservatives have a huge organization in that part of the city and, and in Calgary in general. Um, so I wouldn't, I'm not going to be surprised if he, uh, if he wins in a landslide, I think for the, for the liberals and the new Democrats and maybe even the green party, this is, uh, this is an election, a by-election that, uh, that hopefully they used, uh, as a capacity building exercise. Um, there are a lot of new Democrat MLAs in Calgary who got elected in, in the wave in the last election and may not have had a real campaign organization. Well, over the past month, they've had an opportunity to send their volunteers to Calgary Lougheed and uh and get experience campaigning is that what they've done 
Like, I don't know. That would have been a great idea. Yeah, no, I think I think we've seen, um, from what I understand, there have been a lot of new Democrats from across the city who've been working on the on the by-election campaign. Um, and, though, you know, the, I think they actually have a pretty good candidate. I think the doctor is actually, Philip Van, Vandermerva is actually, pro, actually a pretty good candidate for the NDP uh, in Calgary, especially in this by-election. Um, I don't really think anybody's under any illusions about defeating Jason Kenney. You know, people would, who knows, when, we'll see when voters turned out, turn out on, on the 14th. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's it's a capacity building exercise for the other parties, which is which is useful because the next election is coming up pretty quick. My only comment on prediction is that I want anything other than seventy seven percent. Okay, well I'm hoping for seventy seven percent then. No, I'm not. <laughs> I think we talked about this last week. It's a bad number for Alberta Conservatives. So one of the things we talked about doing weekly, and we really want to thank everyone who submitted their questions, and I would encourage you to continue to do so because we want this to be your show too, is we're going to have a mailbag segment. So we're going to give a quick response or thought on, I think we have three different questions. So Dave, why don't you start us off? Sure. So uh, David Hopkind, David Hopkind uh, asked a question on Twitter asking, Rebel Media's ties to the conservative movement in this province. Uh, a UCP member just did an interview with this organization. Um, what do we think about uh, what do we think about that? You couldn't see me stabbing my pen into my ear on the podcast. There's, there's blood everywhere. This is what this issue makes me want to do. I think the rebel is a whole other podcast topic. We could probably spend at least an hour talking about it. I'll give my quick take on it, which is that we can't control what any member of the assembly does or who they speak to. We don't control what the rebel claims to be about. I personally have never consumed it. We've seen the leader of the federal party and the leader of the provincial party take explicit stands against the rebel. After Charlottesville, they made it impossible. The rebel made it impossible to do anything else. So as I said on Twitter to that gentleman, this is kind of one of those um, vast right-wing conspiracy type topics, which I think doesn't have a ton of merit. But I can see that as long as an MLA, such as one from Medicine Hat, continues to Drew do... Barnes continues to do media on the rebel this is isn't going to go away so it comes back to the conversation we had what where's the balance between telling drew barnes who's rightly duly elected in fact he's one of the only few mlas who was elected before uh are you going to tell him he can't do particular media if i was a paid comm staffer i don't know how that conversation goes do you respect the elected folks or do you just hope they have better judgment than going on the rubble i mean i, th- I think as as a uh, you know as a paid political staff or paid paid political staff for communications i think that you know you'd, you'd basically have to have a sit down conversation with the mla which is not easy and having worked in politics before and worked with mlas who don't necessarily like being uh reined in by by political staffers or by the leader uh might not be easy uh but i think it's something that uh that the ucp is going to have to do before the next election i think it's uh I think it's actually quite embarrassing for the UCP that that uh, that Drew Barnes continues to do this. Um, though I think overall the UCP has become a, a lot less cuddly with uh, with the rebels since since all the followed after Charlottesville. Well, Charlottesville made it impossible. So you can make the case that that was always part of the rebel all along. But after Charlottesville became explicit, there was a tradition starting with the Alberta Report and other alternative media in Alberta to have an irreverent populist right wing media outlet. And part of what the rebel was about, of course, once Sun TV failed, was providing that alternative media and that alternative voice. It was a new revenue model. There was actually a few things that were quite positive about it. But when you start allowing people to be explicitly supporting white nationalists, even if it's down in Virginia, 
it just they took themselves out of the contention of being credible and i don't know how you battle back i i tuned out a long time ago but please for the love of everything can we move on to a new topic okay let's talk about the next let's let's uh, address the next question from uh laurent pirot who i think works for radio canada asked a question is PAC an invasive species that we won't be able to get rid of? And PAC refers to political action committees. Well, it's interesting that the New Democrats watered down the liberal motion on this. So I think it's funny how power has a way of uh, changing your perspective. Uh, I don't know. I'm not an expert, Davis, but I'll make a quick point that I think one way or the other, political money and political organization is going to find a way to be relevant. So you may be able to trim the pack as it currently stands, but something else will grow in its place. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the new legislation, Bill 3032, that uh, that the NDP introduced to deal with PACs, it limits the amount of money that, that political action committees can spend, uh, I think, the year before an election and then during an election period. So I think it limits it to $150,000 um, in, in both both periods. It... it um, creates rules so PACs can't collude, so you, you can't get 10 PACs pooling their money together and, and running a million-dollar campaign. Isn't and that what happened in 2008? Ed Stelmach has no plan. Remember that? I, I do. I remember the, the no plan, no plan ads. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a case where there was an outside group that, uh, that ran ads, and I think that the, the NDP are you know, rightfully concerned that there are uh, you know, we saw with with Jason Kenney's Unite Alberta group. We saw with the all the other groups that were formed around the UCP leadership that there's a lot of political money, uh, f- unaccountable political money that was flowing into these organizations. Well, Jason Kenney's PAC for a time out fundraised all the other PACs and political parties. So yeah, it was certainly very successful. Yeah, I mean, as I wrote as I wrote on my blog uh, last week was uh, you know political money is is like flowing water. It you know it it finds the path of least resistance. So if you're going to ban corporate donations to political parties and to candidates and to leadership candidates, well, those you know those interests are going to find somewhere to to, uh, to park their money. So I don't think I think PACs will will exist. I think what's interesting is in this. Um, in this legislation is it doesn't necessarily define PACs. So it creates kind of a broad, uh, it creates a, a broad rule around, around political advertising in the year ahead of the election and during the election. I think that was intentional on the NDP's part because once you define something, then the outside group can simply change their definition or start doing things differently and fall outside the rules. So, so by, big labor is still going to be able to punch for Rachel Notley in the next campaign. I, I'm sure there's going to be money flowing from all different uh, all different sorts in the election. It's going to be heated. <laughs> I was trying to provoke a reaction out of my my colleague here. Moving on to the next uh, the next question, um, I'd like your thoughts on from this is from Mike Waterhouse. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on why the pr- next provincial election will cost four point five million dollars more. Uh, and this was uh, this is a result of a I think it was a the chief elections officer was talking to the legislative committees committee. Pardon me, legislative offices committee, uh, and he basically had to ask for more, more money because the next election is going to be more expensive. Is it just population growth? Or? Uh, it, a lot of it was population growth um, because we're going to have uh, new ridings. There's going to be new, and, and and the population has grown. There's going to be more poll, more voting stations, which requires uh, more staff to pay and to train, and requires more locations to rent. So can I make a very regressive, broad statement? After watching the last few years of elections, and particularly the Calgary municipal election, and even here in St. Albert, I support going back to paper 
and pens and counting because I do not think that any form of technology is ever going to actually be trustworthy. We have all these computer systems and they're, I'm not like a conspiracy guy. I'm not saying they're hacked. I just think the more complicated technology, the more potential for something going wrong there is. So the questioner said something about, you know, using computer technology, shouldn't elections be getting cheaper? Maybe, but I haven't seen computer technology actually make it better yet. So let's go back to the old school. I'm not going to say property owner, property owners only can vote, but let's rewind just to the point where we were using paper and you physically show up and you mark your axe. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of the pencil and paper. And I think that, uh, I don't think that's actually going to change going into the next, uh, next provincial election though as, as you pointed as you pointed out municipal uh, municipal elections use different uh, different forms of voting we should never go to online voting ever no let's uh, let's you, you, the russians cannot hack our pencils and our paper exactly i, I should mention that i'm drinking out of a uh, trump international hotel las vegas uh, coffee cup provided by ryan so that's <laughs> uh, that's my uh, that's my donald trump reference reference of the day tune into twitter i'll i'll post the photo Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback uh, online, on Twitter, on Dave Berta on Facebook. Uh, And please send emails to uh, podcast at daveberta.ca. For our next episode, we're going to be doing a year-end wrap-up, and we would love your feedback and love your involvement in it. Uh, We're going to ask you, and we're going to put a poll on my blog at daveberta.ca, and it'll probably be on Twitter as well. Uh, We're going to ask you for your top pick, uh, your pick for top MLA of 2017, uh, in Alberta, your what do you think the biggest issue of 2017, biggest political issue of 2017 was? And what do you think the political play of the year was in 2017? Uh, and there'll be a number of other, a uh, couple other questions as well. But uh, tune in to uh, visit daveberta.ca uh, and we'll, uh, we'll have the poll and we'll, we'd love your feedback. We would like to thank our gorgeous looking, uh, handsome, smart, intelligent uh, producer Adam Rosenhart again for producing this this podcast. It could not be done without him. So thank you very much, Adam. Uh, you can also check out, he has an excellent podcast, uh, The Expats, which uh, which you can download uh, where you find podcasts, which is, which is excellent. It's one of my favorites. As always, uh, you can feel free to download this podcast uh, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe to the show, uh, submit a review. Please submit a review. We love reviews, especially positive ones. Uh, share it with your friends and family. Uh, and of course, tune in next time. <laughs>